Hey everyone, welcome to Operations, the show where we look under the hood of companies in hypergrowth. My name is Sean Ling. It's a pretty obvious thing to say, but there's a lot going on inside of the hypergrowth companies that we talk to for this show. Things move fast, there's new technologies, new tools, new buzzwords, they're thrown around all over the place. But here's the reality. The channels through which we market to our customers, they're going to change. The ways we engage with prospects, those are going to change too. But the people on the other side of those interactions, they're going to remain constant. And I'm not nearly smart enough to have reached these conclusions on my own. I got a lot of help from today's guest, Kyle Sutton. Kyle is the Senior Director of Marketing at SolarWinds, a publicly traded IT infrastructure company with a market cap of $6 billion. And in our conversation, Kyle teaches me about storytelling, about how to learn about your users based on the questions they ask, and why scrappiness is the trait that he looks for on his teams today. Also, be sure to stick around till the end for the advice that Kyle gives in our lightning round of questions. To start, though, I was interested in some of the experiences that led to Kyle's path to SolarWinds. Prior to joining the company, he worked on the agency side, and I wanted to learn how that agency experience impacted the marketer that he is today. So I think the the biggest thing there was that being on the agency side forces you in very many ways to do a lot with a little, right? You know, you have a big idea, the client doesn't have budget, you know, maybe it's not in scope, maybe it's not part of what you're hired to do. And, you know, it forces you to develop a resourcefulness, a scrappiness that doesn't always develop when you start on the brand side. Maybe you see it in the context of a startup, but if you walk into an organization where you're all of a sudden, like incredibly well resourced, it's tough to get scrappy. So I would say resourcefulness and scrappiness were probably the two biggest takeaways from my years in the agency game. Mm. And so now that you have that resourcefulness and and you've kind of come in, I completely agree with you about the scrappiness part. I also think the out of scope part is really interesting because it probably forces you to get better at focus, right? And it forces you to prioritize the thing that is actually the main thing. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, in a big way. You know, it puts you in a position where what you're doing is looking at an objective and mapping the path for the best way to get there, regardless of whether or not that's in your remit, right? So I'll give you some functional examples. I got started in marketing on the the search side of things, right? This is like 2006, 2007. And at that period of time, it could be argued that, you know, the role of marketing was just to deliver traffic. But, you know, this is the, you know, kind of the nascent stages of what became the the revenue marketing function. And, you know, a lot of us began to develop this idea that traffic alone isn't enough. We really want to help the business actually convert. Like we want to deliver a real ROI. And so you're very quickly doing things as a search marketing guy, like, you know, page analysis. Hey, here's what I think we should say on this page to convert these users, because here are the keywords that we're buying. Hey, here's what a competitor is doing. Here's what a user expects for this experience. We're not aligned. And so to be to be really honest, man, taking that approach of I'm just here to deliver against the objective, like whatever that takes. And even if it means expanding into a new thing, that for me has been the the, the golden ticket, right? Like that that's good on the brand side. That's good for upper mobility. That approach has been incredibly valuable. 
Have you had to then take that same approach and share that back with your team? Because not everyone's going to have necessarily come from that level of experience or they might come into a billion dollar company like SolarWinds and not have that same scrappiness either in their roots or in just their level of experience from other companies. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think it's the thing that you can cultivate, but I think in a lot of cases there have to be kind of some some seeds of that kind of in the person. I'll always give my team direct feedback on, hey, let's tackle this problem in this way. Don't be afraid to think outside the box. I encourage people routinely to make me uncomfortable. Like, you know, if you're if you're not failing at something, if your ideas aren't getting slapped down regularly, you're probably not bold enough in how you're thinking about bringing these, these opportunities to the table. But man, at some level, there's some things like intellectual curiosity, like tenacity, that by the time you get to my team and you're, you're mid-senior in your career, if you haven't had those light bulbs come on for you, it's kind of tough to turn them on, to be really honest. I can take somebody that has that perspective and they may, they may be rough around the edges on the functional skills and cultivate it. It's almost like, you know, going back to your first job as a kid and, you know, you're working retail and you see, you know, two kinds of workers where somebody will come up and ask somebody on staff a question and staff A will say, I don't know, and walk away. And staff B will say, I don't know, but let me go find out for you. I like to work with that second individual. If you're that first person, those skills just aren't there. And I, I don't know that I'm the one that can instill them, to be really honest. All of Kyle's advice and lessons here really boil down to that approach he mentioned. He said, I'm here to deliver on the objective. Whether that objective is something brand new to him or something he's been doing for years, his approach is to just deliver on the objective. It sounds simple, but we've all seen that worker one that he's talking about, the person who just shrugs their shoulders at a problem and moves on with their day. To be successful on Kyle's team, though, you need to be the colleague who says, let me go and figure that out. And it's not just that. He cares more about the fundamentals in building a marketing organization than he does the frills or the buzz around the latest hot tool or technology. What I see go wrong in a lot of very technical marketing organizations is that, you know, because we have access to good-sized budgets and really interesting technology is to jump out and to start building kind of your channel strategies to start building your go-to-market by looking at all the things you can automate. And that that's kind of a, a misstep, right? There are a couple of foundational things in the way we approach kind of building these campaigns. You know, number one is that any piece of marketing technology, whether that's, you know, Marketo or, or Drift, and, you know, as you're aware, we use both, they really exist to take a thing that works well in a one-to-one interaction and deliver them at scale, Right. So I'm not looking at a phenomenal tool like Drift as a mechanism to to show me how to have conversations. I'm looking at Drift as a mechanism to take conversations that are already happening on the phone and over a really long, you know, kind of qualification process and streamline, you know, the time from the hand raise to the the in-person bit. Same thing with, you know, marketing automation, right? I'm not looking at Marketo to help me figure out what assets to deliver. What I'm looking to do is take, you know, what happens in a good one-to-one relationship where somebody knowledgeable from the side of the business shares valuable resources with, you know, prospects and customers. And I'm looking to do that at scale, right? It, it, you know, what does it take, like 27 years to build like a decent salesperson? 
Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to do that, you know, basically over a matter of weeks, right? And yeah, they're accelerants, right? Right, without without having to add bodies. So that that's the first piece. The second is that the value of these kind of these platforms, like it's, it's, it's a phenomenal time to be a marketer because we have more research than we've had in, in a very long time. Like there, there's really no excuse for not having an incredibly deep understanding of who your audience is. Yeah, there are, you know, a ton of tools to look at there. You know, the market has evolved a bunch, but the cop out I hear a lot is, oh, well, you know, hey, we don't have a license to Sysimos or radio. <laughs> like those are, those are really advanced tools, man. Open up the the AdWords keyword tool and look at the search queries in your space, and you're going to get a really good understanding of how your audience is thinking about your services. Because functionally speaking, like a query is basically a question without the wrapping of natural language. How much can you learn from digging into the questions that people are asking? And so, you know, that that's the way we challenge our folks. Yeah, we do programmatic, paid social. ABM, like we're, we're doing all the things a company of our size, you know, has to do to play in the space. But our our roots are in understanding the audience and building things that that move them to action. That's so interesting. I, I want to go deeper into that point you're making about the, the search queries themselves, right? So you said earlier that, okay, Marketo is going to be part of the acceleration of a conversation. Drift's going to be something that's accelerating a conversation. But you know, the Marketo program you build doesn't say, oh, you should put this in the program. And so you said, you know, the the gap there is what do you show them? And I'm curious how you and your team look at those search queries and look at, you know, something that you might get from for keywords and then translate that into what you show them. Yeah, great question. So for us, you know, it, it's a combination of things, right? So in a lot of ways, search queries are almost the the quant representation on their own. You'll see a list of keywords and data in terms of query volume, location, monthly peaks and valleys, et cetera. The qual element really is the wrapper of you know what those things mean, right? So for example, I'll take one of our products, right? So backup is one of our, our big products. And as the name would imply, it takes data from servers and user machines, backs them up in a secure environment. So that's good marketing right there. Right. Well, it's, it, it, it's, it's an old category. So it's not, it's not like new. We're, we're not like breaking in, like building a thing. This is like a, a cost of entry sort of play. So I can see what the volume is. I can see all the different ways somebody will search for kind of the, the backup product. But to really understand kind of how my my audience is using it, I'll take that data and then jump over to like the Reddit forum, for example, that's relevant to my space and dig into the conversations that are happening there. And the combination of the two gives me some really great insight into kind of desires from a feature perspective, into pain points in terms of you know, how people are using the product, what they're not seeing, a knowledge gap, so educational opportunities, those all form kind of the basis for what we do from a channel perspective. While tools like Drift and Marketo can act as strategic accelerants in Kyle's business, he coaches his team to really hone in on the users. What questions are they asking? Where do they ask them? Where is their knowledge gap? He is truly trying to understand where those users are coming from before applying what he learned to all the channels that are available to marketers today. And that order of operations 
while probably harder, is pretty important. You can't just start with the tool or the channel and expect real results. I found Kyle's point about the maturity of his space particularly interesting. The IT infrastructure space and this backup product that he's referencing are relatively mature, and that influences how users are going to search for his products. But what about the rest of us? How do we know where our company's products fall on the maturity spectrum in our given markets? Yeah, so yeah, it's a good question because the maturity thing is a, is, is a big factor. So the way I explain it to folks is in the context of healthcare, right? So like I, I worked in pharma for a lot of years doing basically the same thing, right? Digital marketing, marketing to healthcare professionals and, and patients. And what we discovered there is that search and, you know, by extension people is a very fluid thing, right? In that people's understanding and the way they search morphs over time, right? So when a condition is new, people only know to search for the symptoms, right? So let's pretend for a moment that search was a really big thing when, you know, some like horrendous condition like lung cancer was discovered, right? At the beginning stages, people are going to search for stuff like, you know, shortness of breath, bad cough, like whatever the symptom is. Fast forward a handful of years when there's much more education in the space and you see the searches get really specific. I'm looking for small cell carcinoma of the left, whatever, right? Mm. Because people are very, very educated. So I think the same thing applies in the context of the product, right? At a very basic level, do we see people just searching for the problems that your product solves? Or are they searching very specifically for, you know, some flavor of a, of a solution, right? And that's, you know, kind of how you take the temperature on where the market is. And, you know, candidly at SolarWinds, we have, we have products at, you know, all ends of the spectrum. So we play in some very mature spaces. We also play in some spaces that are functionally, you know, almost new categories, right? So, you know, we, we have to be adept at kind of digging into both. And that, that's one of the ways we do it. And so if I'm on your team, is my role then to take some of those earlier spaces? Like, is my job to move people along in their education or do I have to meet them where they're at? Teach me if I'm coming into your team, how do I translate all of this behavior that we're finding from those really early, you know, symptoms that people don't even know the right names for? What's my role as a marketer there if I know that that's where they are in their in their kind of evolution or journey? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I you know, the, the thing we tell people is that, you know, your your role is to kind of meet the the prospect where they are and take them to where they need to be, right? And that that's kind of the way we think about it. So, going back to that metaphor of the question, like your your job is absolutely to acknowledge that original question and to provide some some context for why this offering or why our offering may be, you know, kind of a better solution, even if there's there's a disconnect, right? But just like in any, you, you could argue that in a lot of ways, like building experiences and content is almost an extension of a of a service job. And like service job 101, like your first step is to answer the question, right? It, do, it doesn't matter like how great the pitch is if you don't necessarily tick the box on that that thing that brought them in the door. And that's how we think about it. So going back to the product example, if somebody is searching for, you know, let's say a solution that doesn't really fit the the need. I'll give you, okay, I'll give you like a, a concrete example. So, you know, antivirus for a long time 
was kind of the gold standard for protection at the kind of the, the system level. But, you know, like functionally speaking, antivirus is like a dead technology now, right? Because it's super easy for bad actors to get an attack that's like a one of one that's built for your system. And so what you have to monitor for is actually malicious behavior, not just a malicious threat. So like antivirus works on a dictionary of known threats. I'm going to look for, you know, file name.exe and know that's a bad file. But, you know, the the next step is to monitor for like, hey, looking at everything in your system, what's actually happen, happening and is there a thing we need to mitigate? We make a decent investment in antivirus keywords and we're pitching people on going the other way and moving to the next generation of technology, which is endpoint detection and response, right? We meet people where they are and take them to where they need to be, right? So that that's kind of the, the model. This is particularly interesting when you think about companies that are creating new categories or selling a product that is new to its audience. Obviously at Drift, we have created a category, but no one was searching for conversational marketing three years ago. And while we recently introduced a new category again of revenue acceleration, we can't just sit around waiting for people to start searching for that term. What we can do is find those people who, for example, are looking for better alignment between sales and marketing, or for those that are looking to create a more tailored experience for every visitor to their website. As Kyle says, the first thing you got to do is just answer their question. Then you can help the customer move along that maturity spectrum. And there's a tried and true method that Kyle turns to to help move customers along that spectrum. Storytelling. I know over at Drift, you guys are, are massive story folks as well. That's, you know, DC's, I mean, he, he's a massive, massive advocate of this also. And I think, you know, the thing, it's totally true that if you look at the things that move people to action, right, it's narrative. Like 10 times out of 10, it's narrative. If you look at the kind of the great stories of our generation, the structure is largely the same. So the question becomes like, how do you take that understanding of user intent, that understanding of product market fit, and then weave it into a narrative that people care about, right? If I I understand user intent, if I know what your goals are as a business, if I know the problems that keep you up at night, And I can weave my product story into that narrative in a way that helps you be successful in a place you otherwise would have failed. You're always going to do really well. And that's critical to what we do as a next step. It becomes where does this reality fit in the context of the business journey? And as I've said, it like business journey is even kind of the wrong thing, because if you get to the root of it, it's a human journey, right? I never lost sleep because I didn't have a great chat technology or conversational marketing technology in my life. I lost sleep because, hey, I'm getting traffic, but my conversions aren't where I need them to be. What do I do about that? And, you know, a solution like Drift became, you know, one of the levers we pulled to solve that challenge. And so that's kind of where it fit into my narrative. And that's what was compelling for me. Yeah, it's so interesting when you think about it from not just like the brand story or a case study or whatever that you're sharing on your website, but like the actual people behind it. I mentioned to you that we've had a a lot of our second half kickoffs and we've had a handful of customers that have come through. And one of the things that stuck out to me about we had both CMOs and CROs who, who came and talked and like, at the end of the day, they don't really care about the nitty gritty features and functionality and integrations of the tool. They care about the outcomes, right? And they care about the results. And the fact that 
their conversion rate on their website, your conversion rate in your website is the thing that keeps you up at night. All you want to know is, is this thing going to increase that conversion rate? Or is this thing going to increase the productivity of an SDR or of a rep? And so that part to me is so interesting that like, if you really do take all the lessons that you just told me and strip away all the technology and get to the the core of what the user wants and what the behavior is, like, it's not necessarily just to their brand. It's what is going to make that person's job better. It's exactly that. And I mean, if I've heard, you know, DC say it once, he's probably said it a thousand times, is that <laughs> humanity hasn't really evolved in the way they make decisions for very many years, right? Like that's an evolutionary thing. So, you know, yeah, today we're making a decision in the context of a B2B SaaS product or whatever, but man, at the core of all of it, the fundamental question is how does this thing help me survive and how does it help me thrive? And, you know, if we can position our offerings in a way that answer those very fundamental questions, the world is your oyster, so to speak. I have to tell you, I've become mildly obsessed with the Harmon Brothers website since you brought it up to me. (laughs) They have this ticker on their website that just shows like the cumulative views of all of their videos uh, across all their clients. And it's like 1.4 billion views. And so like that has become a thing that I like check back on the ticker (laughs) to see where it's at. It's fascinating, right? And so for folks that haven't heard of them, the Harmon Brothers, they're basically a video marketing agency out of somewhere in Utah and their kind of their angle is producing these videos that just balloon sales in really amazing ways. So if you look at their portfolio, it's folks like the Squatty Potty, it's Camp Chef Grills, Purple Mattresses. And if you look at their work, like the common thread in their video, I guess it's for me, it's two things. It's one, they tell stories incredibly well. And then number two, it's the type of content that you want to engage with regardless of whether or not you're in the market for that product, right? It's actual entertainment. So if you look at kind of where consumers are relative to exposures to ads, I mean, the the, the data is there, man. Like it's super clear that we're very quickly moving to what is in a lot of ways almost a post-advertising world storytelling really is the only thing that that keeps you viable. I mean, between ad blockers on the web, between the number of users that, you know, don't necessarily do traditional television any longer, like we live in a lot of ways in an ad-free bubble. So if we're not delivering a thing that creates intrinsic value, why is anybody going to listen, right? So the Harmon brothers are, are doing it incredibly well. And what's funny is that, in a lot of ways, I think, you know, maybe the you know, representative of the next generation of storytellers and people just think they're a video shop, but their real superpower is the ability to tell an incredible story for sure. Yeah. And I think it's just becoming the norm, right? This used to be like this big, you know, if you, you think of like Dollar Shave Club, right? Like that was, I think, the first example that really caught a ton of people's attention because it was so rare and unique. And now things like Squatty Potty and others, like this is the norm now, right? You have to have that level of either opinion or flair or something unique that you bring to the table in order to get attention at all. No, you definitely do. And I think, you know, one of the things that is kind of a blessing and a curse of a bigger brand is that you can actually be really lacking on the story side 
and just mask that reality by pumping cash into end of funnel demand hmm. channels, right? <laughs> so going back to my the, the earlier discussion on why is scrappiness a valuable asset? Well, you know, scrappiness is incredibly valuable because it forces you to, you know, when you're in a situation where things are tight, where you've taken some professional risk, you're really intentional about squeezing every ounce of effectiveness out of every touch point and interaction. And I think some of that can get lost as a brand scale. So you could be terrible at story and crush it on paid search. And you'll probably hit your numbers for, you know, many years to come. It'll be expensive. But, you know, if you're putting a dollar into the machine and getting three out, like you, you can mask that for a period that of works. time. Yeah. But what inevitably happens is that you're going to find a ceiling, right? You, you can only buy so much into funnel demand. And then at that point, you have to go higher up in the funnel. And if you're not wired for it, you're going to have a heck of a lot of problems. And that's just the reality. Before we go, at the end of each show, we're going to ask each guest the same lightning round of questions. Ready? Here we go. Best book you've read in the last six months? Oh, man, that's a tough question because I'm reading a ton right now. I would say probably one of the most actionable has been Storynomics by Robert McKee. And so it's basically kind of a guide to the, the economics of telling stories. So the things we, we, dis we discussed earlier, you know, the, the post-advertising world, the structure of a story, how this is being applied in the context of big brands and media. Phenomenal read on that topic. Nice. So I usually have operations folks on the show, and I usually ask them about their favorite part about working in ops. And so I will pose it to you. What is your favorite part about working in marketing? Yeah, what I love, man, is that no two days are the same. I mean, you're, you're really challenged to kind of flex in several different directions and shift gears at a really rapid clip. So literally Monday, I may be working with somebody on the media team to get into the weeds on, you know, why cost per qualified opportunity isn't doing what we wanted to do. And, you know, it's a very data driven exercise. The next day, I may be sitting down with someone from the creative team who's building, you know, a new web experience or writing a page of copy. And, you know, what I'm doing is taking insight from kind of the very technical research we talked about earlier or, you know, like, for example, last year, I spent a ton of time on the road and, you know, talked to like 500 prospects, right? And taking that insight and pouring it into what becomes the story we tell on that page. So like math on Monday, science on Tuesday, it's, it's a good time. We'll have to do a whole other episode about that road trip. I feel like that would be super interesting. Man, uh, you spend a lot of time eating like catering at chain hotels. I, <laughs> I don't recommend it, but it, you know, it was good to talk to people. It's another story for another day. <laughs> All right. Least favorite part about working in marketing. Oh man. I don't know, man. Marketing is a, uh, is, is, is a thing I love very deeply. I, I can share with you the, the frustration. So, you know, it's good to be invested in what you're doing in terms of, of hitting your number in terms of driving outcomes for your customers, driving outcomes for your own business. But I found that that can be a, a two-edged sword. So that same investment that will drive you to, to kind of go the, the extra mile for your projects, for your business, can also, I mean, you, you, you take it really hard when things don't necessarily land your way. 
So you walk a fine line between caring very deeply about your work and not letting your work define your identity, right? And I think it's true, you know, whether you're in marketing or making bread for a living, right? Like that's what you do. It's not necessarily who you are. And that that balance is always tough to find. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Someone who impacted you getting the job you have today. Oh, man, I've been really privileged to have a number of mentors over the years. Man, I can't even list one person, but I, I can give you like three or four, right? So totally I fine. got, okay, I'm sorry. I got, I got my job in marketing, man, because one of my customers at the retail job I was working in college, we just got to be friends. I was an IT major in undergrad and we just hit it off and he said, hey, have you heard about the digital marketing thing? And I said, no. And, you know, that was kind of the first start. Second major mentor for me was someone I actually met in undergrad who was a media buyer at basically my, my first foray into the, the pharma space. And, you know, he helped me get a foot in the door where I, I didn't otherwise have one. And the, the year I did at the agency literally paid dividends for the entirety of my career. And then lastly, the, the mentor I've had for the, la- geez, the last 11 years was basically the, at the time, the CMO of an agency where I was working. He sent me, tell you how long ago it was, this is in the AOL Instant Messenger days. I get a message from this guy and he goes, you know, Kyle, have you ever done any consulting? And I thought it was a setup. I thought like, okay, this guy is a C-level exec, you know, at the agency where I work. You know, he's trying to see if I'm moonlighting and he's going to slap my hand. So I ignored him. (laughs) The next day I get a call. No, Kyle, have you ever tried consulting? And basically this guy showed me a model for kind of engaging clients in the space that has also served me throughout my my career as well, both in terms of, you know, exploring new projects, in terms of picking up new skills. It all ladders up to what this guy told me at, randomly at 12 o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon. And so this particular individual, man, has been kind of my, you know, career Yoda, for, for lack of, of a better phrase. And a lot of my success, I attribute to the wisdom I've gleaned from those relationships. That's awesome. Last one for you. One piece of advice for people who want to have your job someday. <laughs> I'll say, man, looking at all the articles lately around the trajectory of, of the, the CMO, which is where this career path kind of terminates. Like, I, I don't know if, <laughs> if I can count you. I mean, I, I, I just... Run? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, the space is evolving. Yeah, I, I would say in, in, in all sincerity, two things you want to think about at the early stages of your career. A lot of people kind of do one or the other, and you really should do both. Number one is, you know, go out and develop some hard skills, right? Whether that's analytics, whether that's, you know, marketing, whether that's even something in the vein of copywriting, creative, whatever, you want to be able to produce a thing. The rub there is that the hard skills will help you become more valuable earlier in your career. But the reality is that all hard skills eventually become commoditized. Right. So, I mean, you, you see it with like development, right? So 15 years ago, you tell a, like a, a guy in school to go learn HTML and C++ and, you know, JavaScript and become a web developer. In my personal projects, man, I'm outsourcing web development offshore for like less than domestic minimum wage. And that's the going rate. We're not like, I'm, I'm not like lowballing people to go build my personal website. Like, no, that, that is the asking price. And so that skill set has been very heavily commoditized. So you can't, you can't just bank on the hard skills. And you see it with design, you see it with a lot of things. So in parallel to that, you counteract that 
by getting an understanding of the way people make decisions, right? Because again, it's like that thing DC said, you know, we haven't changed in the way we've made decisions in a very long time. So if you pair that hard skill with an understanding of the human psychology element, right? What keeps people up at night? What drives people to action? That's the piece that's going to sustain you for the long term, right? Because the channels are going to change. The way people engage is going to change. The person behind the screen, they're going to be consistent. So when you ask the question of, hey, how do you jump a curve? Hey, how do you understand what the next big thing is? How do you engage people in a way that's going to be meaningful and memorable and provide a a solid experience? That comes from the first part. So as early as possible in your career, go out and do both. Thanks so much to Kyle Sutton for joining us on this week's episode of Operations. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe. You'll get a new episode in your feed every other Friday. And if you really liked what you heard, leave us a six-star review on Apple Podcasts. Six-star reviews only. They really help other people to find the show. One last plug for you. If you haven't read Kyle's blog post on the Drift blog about the diversity and inclusion problems inside of marketing... You've got to go check that out. Again, it's on the Drift blog. You can find the post by Kyle there. Well worth the read. Thanks so much for listening. That's going to do it for me. We'll see you next time.